The Silly Goose Gang Podcast. And here we go back in episode 73 and we're delighted and still slightly baffled by the fact we're being joined tonight by Dr. Peter McAuliffe um, all the way from the States. Um, so uh, Dr. McAuliffe, thank you very much for joining us this evening or this afternoon well, your time. Thanks for having me. I've just had a nice set of calls with the United Kingdom. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist in Dallas, Texas. I'm a trained epidemiologist. I spend about half my time in clinical practice and then half the time as an author and editor and clinical investigator today. It's a blend because I'm taking patient calls uh, and um, working with the media. I have over 650 publications in the National Library of Medicine and I've published extensively on uh, heart and kidney interactions. And I may have more publications than anybody in Scotland for that matter. Um, and, uh, and I have over 50 peer reviewed publications on COVID-19. I've really focused on it since the onset of the pandemic, uh, both on uh, methods to treat the virus early in order to uh, reduce the risk or eliminate the risk of hospitalization and death. And then I've focused on vaccine safety and efficacy in the second year of the pandemic. I've been a frequent contributor in the Hill in the first year, a, a political journal in Washington. Now this year, uh, I have my own podcast, America Out Loud Talk Radio, the McCullough Report. I'm a frequent contributor on Fox News, Newsmax, and most of the major news stations, and I've testified twice in the U.S. Senate, multiple state Senate. So I'm ready to rock and roll with you guys in Scotland. What do you want to know about COVID-19? Jeez, well, that's uh, quite an introduction, and we don't have to – this is one of the things we always like because uh, when we get uh, uh, somebody like you who's, who's very good at talking, we have to do very little work. We can just say something and you go, and it's fantastic. So um, since you just um, you know, went through your, your credentials there, does it drive you crazy or how crazy does it drive you when you get blowback for stating your opinion or as you believe it um, the facts i never had blowback no one's ever sent me an email called me or had a face-to-face -face discussion uh, where there was an interchange of information or someone felt strongly on a different view it's never happened so it's kind of unusual in medicine usually there's some disagreement somebody has an alternative view and there's some discussion. It's never happened here, but I'm very careful to cite the data. You'll notice today I'll hit first author and I'll hit the citation. And I think when people listen to it, it's so clear that uh, it's hard to conjure up uh, an alternative view. Yeah, so we, I, I seen, uh, I've never seen as many of our friends sharing the a podcast as I had uh, on your episode with Joe Rogan. That, that was shared everywhere here locally. I did see some people um, who were, were, were saying this is wrong, that's wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, some uh, general practitioners in the UK. But I know that they are getting paid to administer vaccines. So what do you have to gain from, from what you're saying? Well, well, let me tell you, when I went on with Joe Rogan, you know, he was after me for about a month to <coughs> come down to his man cave. In Austin, Texas, I didn't have time. I was busy with patients, so finally I made time. Went down there, spent 15 rounds uh, in his man cave. Uh, he's a good guy. He's a very good journalist. He's very intelligent. And um, what I did is I showed up with my computer, and I had uh, my peer-reviewed slides. Uh, you know, my PowerPoint slides. I you know I have a standard uh, deck uh, that you know it's already gone through the peer review and continuing medical education accreditation by the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, the base deck did. So these were all CME approved slides and I just showed the slides. So he didn't express any opinions. I didn't express any opinions. We just showed the data. And you know, there were so many people who, who listened to every word. This was three hours and they made a lot of yeah. notes and, and they, you know, they made counterpoints to, to various things and, um, and they're entitled to do so. Um, uh, but what that did is all that, uh, all that review basically amplified it. And then it spread more and more and more. And then what's happened recently is uh, uh, Spotify has gotten involved and uh, Neil Young and other entertainers. And so what people have said on Twitter is they said, well, you know, I, I don't listen to Joe Rogan. I, I, you know, I know about Dr. McCullough, but I, I signed up for Spotify and I downloaded it so I can listen to it and even learn more. And boy, Dr. McCullough was right on the money with all the scientific data. So uh, Neil Young, 
Spotify and these other um, uh, 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 musicians have actually worked to amplify it. You know, my, that, that version now, that's more than Elon Musk. That's more than any version of Joe Rogan. So if it was a music, we would have hit the, uh, uh, you know, platinum or what have you. And now they, the president of the United States has gotten involved. So uh, Jen Psaki, the uh, press secretary, has said that uh, that Spotify should censor Joe Rogan. So now I've tweeted out, I tweeted out that, listen, uh, you, you know, Spotify's doctors, if they have doctors, never reviewed the slides. They never reached out to me. Spotify didn't reach out to me. So if Spotify has doctors, I can meet them. In fact, I should meet the president, the Surgeon General, the White House press secretary, and, and we should have a roundtable and we'll go over all the slides together. Now, I, in my tweet, I let them know it could take some time. There's over a thousand peer-reviewed publications on vaccine injuries and deaths. So just on vaccines alone, it'll take some time. This is in the peer-reviewed literature, and I'm happy to go over with it, uh, go over it, the data with them. No response. In fact, we were in the U.S. Senate, U.S. Senate special uh, panel. I was in the Kennedy Caucus Room in the Senate building, led by Senator Ron Johnson, and we had a five-hour panel. It wasn't just me. There were dozens of uh, practicing physicians. PhD research scientists, nurses, patients, lawyers. The gallery was full with press and other key people. There were uh, dozens and dozens of government, federal uh, public health officials invited. No one showed. Other senators, congressmen, no one showed. But we went over the data and we cited it carefully. And I can tell you that has been viewed <coughs> by millions and millions of people. It was called A Second Opinion for America. And boy, was it well titled. Yeah. Now, uh, can I just say, uh, Dr. McCullough, if you managed to get all these people uh, for a roundtable, uh, we would both be willing to pay pay-per-view for that like it was a big boxing match. <laughs> well, you know what? You know what? Steve Kirsch, who did give a few minutes of testimony in the Senate, uh, he is the founder of the COVID Early Treatment Fund and now the Vaccine Injury Fund. Steve took the vaccine, too, and him and his family took the vaccines. He's not against it, but he realizes what's going on. He has an offer to any come to the table and make the case that the vaccines are safe and effective. He'll pay him $2 million. He's called all the medical schools, called the public health agencies. No one will do it. No one will do it. Mm. How, about a, how about a doctor in Scotland who advises on the vaccines? Why don't they come and we'll just have a round table? That's a collecting a cool $2 million. No one will do it. What does that tell you? Yes, yeah, yes, definitely. I'd love, I'd love to see our um, clinical director. I think that's his official title in Scotland, as a uh, professor Jason Leach, um, and he's been the f the face, I guess you would say, of of the COVID um, kind of campaign in Scotland. And what's interesting is his background is he's actually a dentist. He was a dental surgeon. That's what his medical background is, and he's now in the position of advising the Scottish government on their. Um, pandemic response to COVID. So I would love to see him come on and talk to yourself as well and take a swing at that $2 million to see what would come off of the back of that. But listen, this is just about fair interchange of information. That's all we're doing. It doesn't have to be a debate. In medicine, we, we don't debate topics. We basically have a roundtable discussion. And um, one of the, the things that I've said is that during this U.S. Senate panel, there was a disagreement between uh, Harvey Risch, who's a, an eminent epidemiologist from Yale and Dr. Robert Malone, who's uh, you know independent consultant, he's one of the um, developers of the COVID-19 vaccines, and there was a disagreement. And I pointed out to Dr. Senator Ron Johnson, I said, "This is normal. Doctors do disagree on things, and they we 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 sidebar." Dr. Malone, there was another disagreement with David Wiseman, who's a former scientist for J and J, and they even got up and they felt that they needed to have a sidebar. They had a sidebar conversation. That's normal human interaction. It's fine to discuss things. It's fine to have a, a, a an exchange, um, you know. So if I uh, put out some information that, um, you know, the CDC U.S. VAERS system says twenty one thousand people died after the vaccine, uh, and the the analysis that fifty percent die within forty eight hours, eighty percent die within a week. 86% of the time, there's no other explanation. When someone says, well, that number isn't correct. I said, well, we could use the Pantazatos analysis from 
Colombia that says the, that number in the U.S. could be 187,000 people have died of the vaccine. And they said, well, it, actually, somebody critiqued the Joe Rogan. They said, well, that number isn't correct. I said, well, there was a 45,000 number in the summer, and that came from the federal lawsuit filed by lead attorney Tom Rents and the CMS whistleblower that in CMS data they had, they knew who got the vaccine and who died. And the number was 48,000. So, you know, we can debate. My point is that number's way too large. So, so there's disagreement over the number, over a very big number. Uh, we don't want the public to lose the, the point that we get beyond 50 deaths with any widely used product. It's off the market. It's unsafe. Off the market, period. Yeah. So the, the, the thing that I have the, the biggest concern about is the fact that we're not being allowed to, or, 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 you know, settle in America. They want to stop these conversations. Uh, and, you know, we have heard um, even on our local radio, you know, there was they were talking about Joe Rogan, which is insane. And they keep saying, you know, he's spread, spreading dangerous misinformation. But nobody has said what that dangerous misinformation is. So surely there has to be a conversation what is this information? What is the dangerous misinformation? But there isn't. Well, you know, the misinformation would be cited in Lancet or Journal of the American Medical Association. So we'd have to say, which one do you want to talk about? Uh, th there was somebody who reviewed, uh, there was an academic doctor from University of California at San Francisco. I'm glad he, he listened to the entire podcast, a junior doctor, but he, was, uh, he published an entire uh, webpage on this. And he said, well, Dr. McCullough said the 45,000 deaths after the vaccine, and he should produce a, an epidemiologic study to prove that. I said, well, no, uh, what I will produce is what I cited, and that's the federal lawsuit filed by Tom Rents, and the data are in the uh, complaint. So I have data for everything I say. So you're right. People would say, well, I disagree with this paper in JAMA. So okay, well, take a look at it and tell me what you think. Uh, so it's never stated what article are they disagreeing with? It's never stated. And actually, Rogan, you know, Rogan didn't spread any information. He didn't. I provided the information and I provided the information on my slides. So people and I, I, I'll readily distribute my slides. They can take a look at the slides and analyze every slide and all the papers that go with it. There's thousands and thousands of papers published on vaccine safety and efficacy. There's, there's a lot to it. In fact, the total number is about 25,000. Yeah, so the, the problem that people like me and Ali have, and you know, 95% of the general public is, we don't know how to interpret those slides because they're just data numbers. Uh, and, and this may surprise you, but me and Ali are not medical doctors or scientists, so we we don't have the we don't have the ability to, to understand those numbers. So we need people, um, you know, both sides of the spectrum, to discuss it and be able to access that information. That's the that's what we need as people to make intelligent, informed decisions. Um, yeah, well, I, you know, listen, afterwards, <coughs> Joe Rogan reached out to me. He goes, you know, would you have a debate? I said, listen, how about roundtable discussion? I said, try to find somebody. Well, there's there's one guy on the internet and uh, his name is ZZ Dog or something, very unprofessional. And he has like three publications. And I, I said, listen, I'm debate some college kid or some doctor who just doesn't have any qualifications. I said, find somebody who's got hundreds and hundreds of papers who's made a meaningful contribution. I'd be happy to engage in a discussion. And, and there's just nobody out there. There's nobody out there. We'll, we'll see if we can reach out to somebody in Scotland and, and see if we can set something up. Um, if there's anybody, anybody willing to take that challenge on, uh, Dr. McCullough. Um, so, so I listened to the, the podcast again with Joe Rogan. Uh, like I say, I was going to North of Scotland. So I listened to the whole three hours again on the way back. I listened to the, uh, the, the McCullough Report, your, your latest one. Um, so what was the, the, the march that you were speaking at? What, that was just the other week, last week? Yeah, that was January 23rd. That was <coughs> March Against the Mandates. It's called an American and, and uh, a whole variety of grassroots organizations organized it. One of the big ones called Unity Project. Uh, but about 30 to 35,000 fair estimate of Americans gathered at the Washington Monument, and they marched all the way along the reflection pool to the Lincoln Memorial. And uh, it was very orderly, very peaceful, uh, very perceptive. And uh, there were entertainers. There was uh, uh, some wonderful music by uh, up and coming uh, rapper, uh, Jimmy and High Res. Uh, there was um, you know, a moderator 
uh, TJ, the, the long red-haired fellow who's uh, terrific, become a friend. And, uh, and then I gave the leadoff speech. And in just a few minutes, I told America that uh, the decision is in their hands, that their medical freedom is, is really the only possession they really have. And, and, and you know, if you start allowing people to make you swallow a pill against your will or take an injection against your will, that then once that circle's broken, then the circle of social and, and economic freedoms become broken. So the determination is in one's hands. If, if people simply decline the vaccines now across the board, this whole menace would crumble away. It just, it just, it just would. And so it was a yeah. wonderful day. I mean, there was presentations. I mean, some of the real highlights. And if you go to America Out Loud McCullough report, you'll, you'll find I put together a montage. But there's some great video montages out there. If you go out there, uh, you'll get these condensed versions. I think some of the real highlight speech, one was by Robert Malone, the inventor of messenger RNA, very, very, uh, you know, statesman-like presentation, terrific presentation by Dell Bigtree, who's the leader of the high wire. And Dell just fired up the crowd about freedom. And, and he really called out the press. He called out the complicit nature of the press in the false narrative. And they're just, you know, there's so many veins in this false narrative that's been so disastrous in the pandemic. And then I tell you, the one I think people are waiting for was Robert F. Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy. He's the nephew of John F. Kennedy. And boy, he's the leader of the Children's Health Defense. He gave an unbelievable, really, analysis of the vaccine data and, and really told America how their rights are being taken away from them and that, uh, uh, you know, that, that there's really a need for resistance. So it was a tremendous day. Uh, it was very cold. Uh, we spent hours up on the Lincoln Memorial. The crowds were, uh, you know, I, I didn't know half the time to be, you know, overjoyed or, or crying. People are reaching out. They wanted the connection. They knew my name. The press tent was buzzing. I gave interview after interview in the press tent. People from all over the world wanted to know what's happening. Uh, it was a tremendous day. And then we, uh, we uh, you know, it's interesting. We are in uh, the District of Columbia. We couldn't get a, a cup of coffee in a coffee shop without a vaccine card. But we went a couple of miles over the border in Virginia. We stayed in Pentagon City, wide open. We could go to restaurants, no masks, no vaccine card. You know, it's the same illness, the same people. And yet you can see that difference in pandemic response is really a sign and symptom that the wall is crumbling. Yeah, so yeah. Did, just to double check, sorry there, Dr. McCullough, did you say you were you're unable in D.C. to get a coffee without producing a vaccine card? Did I pick right. up right there? That's right. Wow. But, but just a few miles away, it's all free and open. So I, I can tell you something like that uh, from, from the UK, Dr. McCullough. So uh, me and a friend uh, for his birthday, we decided to jump on a train, head down to York, um, you know, go to a few pubs and whatnot. So on the train in, in Edinburgh, uh, you cannot have a, a drink. You have to wear a mask, no alcohol. As soon as you cross the border into England, you know, at Berwick, uh, masks off, go get a drink. And you're just saying, this is, if somebody can explain this to me, I would love an explanation of how does this make the slightest part of sense. So it's just. Well, especially because the Scottish and you mentioned beer. I mean, that's the that's the big thing. I mean, you know, that's the lifeblood of your of your country. I'm Scots Irish and boy, <coughs> I know about that. Um, I can tell you, I just can't imagine having a good Scotsman be denied a beer because of a mask and a vaccine card. You know something's wrong when that happens. Yeah, so... It was actually, it was actually the, the ban on alcohol in Scotland during one of the lockdowns resulted in possibly my favourite phrase of the entire COVID situation. Scotland banned what was known as vertical drinking, which basically meant you could drink if you were sitting down, but you weren't allowed to order your pint at the bar and drink it while I was leaning on the bar. You weren't allowed to vertically drink, which led to questions in the politicians of saying, so if you're horizontal, is that still okay? Can you drink, you know, enough alcohol that you end up horizontal, that's fine, but you can't drink while you're vertical. You know, by the way, you're, you're pointing out something that's a criteria of mass formation is what's called absurdity. When you start to see things that are absurd, that's a sign that the population is in <coughs> mass psychosis. Here's one in the United States, uh, which has gone away. I'm in Texas, which is an open state. There's no masks and everything's open. 
the beer is flowing, the barbecue is flowing. Same thing in, in Florida, completely open. But there are other, other places in the United States where if you go into a restaurant, uh, one has to wear a mask as you walk to your table. But when you sit down, then the mask can go off. And the tables are all around each other as people moving around. It's as if the virus is only in the in the lanes between the table. But when you sit down at a table, the virus is not in the air there. You can see that the absurdity, there are montages of people wearing masks, driving alone, uh, riding bicycles, someone wearing a mask, swimming in an Olympic swimming pool, uh, mm -hmm. people running a thousand meter races, wearing masks. You know, there's no limit uh, to the absurdity there. And we know basically that the virus, uh, there, there are you know, over a dozen randomized trials of masking. It doesn't work. Ma mask expert Stephen Petty has calculated with the standard mask someone wears, 18% of the air goes around the mask. And the virus is so small, it moves through surgical masks or N95 masks with ease. So uh, it's obvious masks can play no role. So I, I'm always asked, by the way, I'm a frequent contributor on TV, and I'm always asked, Dr. McCullough, should... Uh, you know, what do you think about masks? And I, it's not my signature issue uh, because, you know, I'm a doctor. I wear a mask at work because I go in the cardiology cath lab or operating room, ICU. You know, masks could block a big sneeze, which we wouldn't want to if we're examining a patient. So I don't have a problem wearing a mask or maybe even a, a barber or a, a nail salon operator, et cetera. But, you know, I think masks on children uh, that's impairing their development, uh, ma masks yeah. on masks on pretty men and pretty women. It's it's just not a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say the the one with the children is I've got three three. Well, I say kids. They're they're kind of grown up teenagers now. But my daughter for the end of primary school and into her early parts of high school has to wear a mask all the time. Um, a similar situation though. If she's sitting in the class, sitting down, she's allowed to remove it for short periods of time. But the minute she stands up and moves into the corridor she has to put the mask back on. And similarly to that drinking in the pub situation with vertical drinking, the Scottish government also ruled at the same time that if you were on the dance floor, you didn't have to wear a mask. But mm -hmm. if you were walking to the bar, you didn't have to wear a mask. However, if you wanted to go and visit the bathroom, you had to wear a mask because COVID hangs about in the bathrooms, clearly. <laughs> well, you know, you know what? That you know, I've actually thought about that. It, what place... <coughs> It does the virus concentrate in the air where there's it's a small area and there's very little airflow and there's a lot of people in there and actually would be the bathroom. We know the virus does come out in the in the, in the nasal in oral passages, but also comes out uh, comes out in stool. So it okay. comes out in all body fluids. So it's possible that public restrooms could be the point of acquisition. But the, there was a, a paper published in France by Insurman colleagues. And it was a vignette, I believe, of a vaccinated and unvaccinated person and spreading the virus. <clears throat> and the answer was they had to be unmasked in a small conference room, I think, for about three hours. That's what it takes to transfer. So, you know, there were studies from China and some of the United States, too, that show 85 percent of the transmission is within the home. So people listening to this realize, you know, you, you go out to a football game, you don't get it. You, you actually get it in the home. Someone gets sick at home and then everybody in the house gets it. Uh, typically one or two people are spared, but 85% of transmissions at the home and there is some transmission outside, but it's from a uh, sick person to susceptible person. That's the main point. So masks would have no roles. Uh, you know, it's not a hand infection. There was a tremendous preoccupation on hand sanitizer. Everywhere you go, there was hand sanitizer. In fact, uh, there's a montage that Laura Ingram on Fox News, uh, she likes to make fun of CNN as a competitor. There's a montage of CNN where they have CNN medical editor Sanjay Gupta, and he was teaching America how to sterilize pizza boxes. And you know, I said, listen, it's not a pizza box infection. In fact, there's newsreels. No, this is funny newsreels uh, in Europe where there's men that are spraying the seat football stadiums, you know, as if it, it's spread on football stadium seats. Uh, spread through your shirt or your pants. In fact, there's even a newsreel, and I think it's in Europe, where there's a men that are spraying the sidewalk as if it comes out of the sidewalk. You know, these will be these legacy uh, video clips uh, mm. to show you how fear and gross ignorance uh, were taking over the minds of reasonable people for a respiratory infection. Now, do you, do, I mean, do you think this is just um, I, I mean, I have, you know, I have uh, with work deal with, you know, small local council, 
you know, in local government and things like that. And sometimes, I, I, you know, I think that when you see the incompetence uh, and just towing the line within those sort of things, do you think that it's just the blind leading the blind, so to speak, and people are just doing what they're told? Somebody's making a bad decision and falling on with that bad decision. Is that do you? Is that what you think is going on? You know, I had a chance to have dinner with uh, Scott Atlas, who was on the White House task force, the first one. So he worked with these people every day. He thinks it's ignorance. He thinks that they're incompetent. So somebody just makes a bad decision. And just as you said, somebody follows it. So if they say spray the football stadium seats, they start spraying the seats. Or they say, uh, you know, in the U.S. Senate and uh, the table, they had a giant bottle of hand sanitizer and then a giant bo bottle of like, you know, Clorox bleach wipes as if we were going to, you know, clean a bathroom or something. Uh, you know, it was almost symbolic of the level of, of ignorance that that existed. And so there was important environmental research being done. The Chinese did a lot of these. These were published. It turns out that it takes about six to eight air exchanges in order to kind of diffuse the virus. You know, from an environmental perspective, in every room per hour, you'd want to see about six to eight air exchanges. Another important observation came from Singapore that it basically is not transmitted out Outside. Europeans, you guys love soccer. You call it football. Do you, do you know that you actually shut down your, your leagues last year during the pandemic? It doesn't spread outside. I mean, that was uh, demonstrated. Do you, do you know that um, uh, in, in America, we had uh, like almost an entire season of uh, football that didn't happen? We, you know, that's our, our big sport. Uh, it didn't happen. And, and I, you know, I was I provided some commentary for the Olympics. I have, you know, mixed views on this. I know the virus wouldn't be <coughs> spread outside, but sure enough, people could go into the restroom just as we've already covered. There's been one study of does the virus spread in public restrooms and it didn't turn up anything. Although uh, I think there could be a lot more study. I still think that's where the action is. It's clearly in the Singapore data, it's clearly doesn't happen outside. If you're, if you're walking outside, this idea of wearing a mask, the, the virus doesn't shoot like a laser from one person to another. It just, it diffuses out in the air and you have to get a certain inoculum, but the principles of fresh air are good. Do you know in the equatorial regions around the world have some of the lowest rates of COVID? So right around the equator, uh, you know, go through Central America, there's nothing going on. People are outside and uh, it's really in the extremes up North. You go across Europe where, where Scotland is, England, uh, the northern United States, uh, you know, that's where the action is. So um, the bottom line is, you know, learning about spread of the virus. That was one of the pillars we, we addressed in the U.S. Senate panel. The second pillar was early treatment. We went through all the ways of treating the illness, reducing hospitalization and death. And so any hospitalization data must be presented with whether or not the patient received early treatment, since that actually determines who got hospitalized. So people said, oh, they took a vaccine or they didn't take a vaccine. I said, that's irrelevant. What, what matters is, did they get early treatment? That was a big point I made. The, the, th the, the, the third pillar is in-hospital treatment. There, there was agreement that the in-hospital treatment is not comprehensive enough and it's not adequate. One of the lead drugs is turning out to really have some negative safety data and that's remdesivir. Turns out remdesivir is probably the loser of inpatient uh, therapy. And the winner is monoclonal antibodies. Monoclonal antibodies <coughs> probably should be given sooner, as soon as we can outpatient. I think everybody sick enough to be hospitalized ought to give a, a trial of monoclonal antibodies. And when the oxygen goes down in the body, the experts agreed, it's due to blood clots in the lungs. All the autopsies show blood clots. So the big missing piece of treatment is typically full dose anticoagulants. Yeah, I know that we have, uh, or certainly not us, but uh, I think the NHS had started to experiment with um, uh, ivermectin. I think that was NHS Wales who were trying Wales, that. Yeah. So we'll see what comes out of that. But yeah, that was all um, you know ridiculed as it was. Well, in well, let me just respond to that. I think the focus on hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin has been way too myopic. Uh, you know, I've done a seminar with Dr. Sankaran Chetty in South Africa. Dr. Eugenia Barentios in South America, they've clearly shown you don't need ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine to treat the syndrome. They're not needed. Okay. Okay. So, so there should be, so people say, well, they're controversial. I'd say, fine, use another protocol. But, but every high risk 
person in Scotland should receive early treatment. They, they should be on a multi-drug treatment protocol. And if, if the doctor doesn't want to use ivermectin, then use another protocol. But, but, but not to deny treatment. Denying treatment, that's not okay. Yeah, so the thing is, is as I alluded to earlier, you know, when you when you deal with, um, you know, government, you know, it's, it's, what I always say is when people start talking about, you know, people get crazy talking about uh, Illuminati and New World Order and all this things, and you, you can stop all that. The people who are making these decisions are the people who can't fill potholes in the road, who can't get, you know, bins emptied on time. These are the people making the decisions. So, um, yeah, the, some, you know, just plain incompetence, not particularly good at their jobs. Um, like Ali said, the guy charged with, with looking after us is a dentist. So I'm not entirely sure, um, you know, if he wanted my teeth cleaned perhaps. But, uh, but you know, this is a problem I have. I think it seems to me like just a lot of bad decisions, terrible decisions, and we see that in everyday life here. Um, I think, you know, America will be the same. Um, can, can I ask you a question? What's the status? We heard news that the, all the mandates are going to be dropped across uh, Scotland, Ireland, and the UK. Did that actually happen? They, they did in England, yes. Um, as of Monday this week, so a couple of days back at the start of this week, England pretty much got rid of mask wearing, except for in hospitals and care homes. I believe they've kept them in those. So if you're visiting hospital or visiting care homes as in elderly uh, patients, etc. Scotland have retained the one metre social distancing, retained the masks, um, and we still have the vaccine passport, similar to the vaccine cards you were talking about, um, for visiting nightclubs only now. So if you want to go to a nightclub, you have to essentially be, I believe now possibly treble vaccine, so first two doses plus the booster to now class as fully vaccinated. Um, but England... But, but how about, all, okay, so that's nightclubs in Scotland. How about restaurants? No, you, you've never had to produce a vaccine passport to get into a restaurant. However, as you said previously, Dr. McCullough, it is a situation where you walk in wearing the mask, you sit at the table, you immediately take off the mask, sit and eat, and then obviously if you move around the restaurant, you put your mask back on. And that's where we currently are as of this week. Well, you know, there's an a published on this topic and it was published from Barnstable County, Massachusetts. And they showed outbreaks that occurred in bars and pubs. A lot of young people go to this uh, part of the Northeast to, to basically party in the summertime. And uh, importantly, it was kind of during the Delta outbreak. But about two thirds of those who got COVID were fully vaccinated. So uh, it, it's clear if you just restricted the pubs to fully vaccinated, that is going to do nothing to influence COVID. And the yeah, Barnstable yeah. data show that. So if you, you know, people going to congregate settings, uh, there's a paper by Singarajan and colleagues published in Lancet, showing you know, a <laughs> careful case contact tracing study, 39% of transmission is from fully vaccinated to fully vaccinated. So, so the, we, we, we constantly see these numbers, um, you know, about um, me and Ali have went back and forward, message, you know, sending each other messages with, the, you know, an article saying one thing about um, three quarters of people in hospital are vaccinated against people saying 80% of people in hospital are unvaccinated. So we, we need to have conversations, like, you know, I said earlier, to determine what's actually true, because one side saying one thing, another side saying another thing. And it's for people like us, it becomes very confusing. Well, you know, the thing to demand is randomized trials. Uh, one can't claim anything on hospitalization data unless they're randomized because what determines who's in the hospital is their treatment, if they got early treatment or not. So you actually have to randomize. So any claim that, oh, vaccines keep people out of the hospital or put people in the hospital, they're not <coughs> valid because they're not randomized. There's no ascertainment of why the patient is there. Uh, there's testing done in asymptomatic, uh, an asymmetric fashion where uh, many of the vaccinated don't get tests, but unvaccinated do get tests. And there's no verification of who's, you know, what, what their current vaccine status is. And, you know, someone vaccinated a year ago is very different than somebody vaccinated two months ago. 
And there's typically no control for that. So I think all the hospitalization data can be discarded. I don't think it's valid. Uh, it's all over the place. You, you know, there's reports from Israel that 80% of people in the hospital are fully vaccinated. Then there'll be a report in the United States showing just the opposite. I, I, I think that, go, that speaks to the fact that the hospitalization data are just not trustable. Yeah, so I think um, something that, you know, me and Ali have talked about again privately is when we get these numbers in, in the UK, Scotland or the UK in general, um, about the amount of people vaccinated, I sometimes get the impression that those numbers are not accurate. So I don't know how they gather that data because what people tell you to what you've been told, they don't weigh up at all sometimes. So do you have any, you know, any, any well, evidence? You know, in the U.S. Senate record now, um, as of January 24th, uh, attorney Tom Rents did present top line analysis from the project Salus data, Department of Defense, CMS. So this is government data in the United States. And he clearly showed that the majority of people in the hospital with COVID, Americans in the hospital with COVID, are fully vaccinated. So I think when we actually get some type of accurate report, you know, indeed, uh, they're vaccinated. So, you know, what a hospital administrator says or, or, or what, what a doctor says, I've heard a lot of doctors say, well, the only people in the hospital are the unvaccinated. I, I just don't think it's valid. I mean, they, they may like to think that, but it's not supported by, uh, by the data science. Yeah, there was, um, there was a, a, quite a, a famous um, video that went live on the news um, about there was, no, I think this has just been overturned now in the UK. There was a there was going to be a mandate for all NHS staff to be vaccinated. Now, I believe that's been uh, overturned uh, because there was a doctor, uh, a, a, an ICU doctor who had, uh, you know, what, what's his name, Mr. Javid, uh, the MP. Sajid Javid. Sajid Javid. And, you know, he was saying, he asked some nurses, what do you think about this, you know, having to be mandated? And they all kind of nervously looked at each other. And then the doctor stepped and said, I don't agree with it. And he, to start with, he, he, he sort of said, um, well, that's just your opinion. And then he obviously realized that he was being filmed, slightly backtracked. And the doctor presented saying, you know, if it, you know, wears out, you know, we'd all, almost have to uh, vaccinate the entire NHS monthly. It's simply not possible. Um and there's no data to suggest that's good. So now that's been overturned, uh, which is, you know, I think a sensible decision. Um, so, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was after, as well alongside that, Dr. McCullough, when our health secretary, so Sajid Javid that we were talking about, <clears throat> he was asked in the Houses of Parliament um, when they were putting through this law to force all NHS staff to be vaccinated or lose their job. One of the opposition MPs asked, will you also insist on them being vaccinated against winter flus going forward? And he said, no, I don't see the reason for that. And at that point, you go back to, well, if you say vaccinate against every possible communicable disease, then does that seem more sensible than just targeting one disease? Because people die of the flu every year and have done for decades, particularly in, as you were saying, Northern Europe, Scotland, um, but he specifically said, no, we don't require them to be vaccinated against the flu, which is a very common vaccine. You know, most people get it every year, but you have to be vaccinated against COVID. And I think at that point, a lot of people started to turn and go, it goes back to that absurdity. You know, that doesn't make sense then. Yeah, it goes back to absurdity, but also goes back to the reason for vaccination. <clears throat> now, I'm a cardiologist. I, I take the hepatitis B vaccine. I've actually taken all the vaccines uh, that are safe and effective on the vaccine schedule. I went to India. I went to, you know, the Department of Public Health. I got additional vaccines to go to India. I've been there twice. And um, I got to tell you, you know, the purpose of me taking a vaccine when I go to India is not to protect the Indians. I'm going there to protect myself. I, I take a hepatitis B vaccine because I'm a cardiologist. Someone, I may get a needle stuck in my hand. Uh, so, uh, you know, it really has to do with protection of oneself. That's the whole purpose of doing vaccination. Uh, yeah. Here, I think what's happened is it's not beneficially stated, but I think, I think the goal of vaccination here is not to protect the individual because the vaccines are risky, right? The people lose their lives or injured with the vaccines. The, the perception is if someone gets vaccinated, it protects someone else. And <clears throat> that's been disproven. Our CDC directors come on TV and said, listen, the vaccines don't stop spread of the virus. And the paper, all the papers I quoted show that the, the vaccine doesn't stop spread of the virus. So taking a vaccine doesn't protect anyone else, but we still see that behavior. We, we see grandparents saying that the grandchildren can't come over unless they're vaccinated. Teachers say they won't come back unless the students. 
I, I think this, the reason why this is important is I think older people are, are, are trying to have young people act as human shields in a very distorted and, and, and perverse and diabolical way. Uh, and so the young people are taking injuries uh, in this attempt of older people to force them to be a human shield. It's, it's, really, it's really almost something out of a science fiction movie. So one of the things that um, was possible um, last summer, I believe, uh, something I did on Oxford University had a, a, a COVID risk um, calculator. And yeah. uh, I, I filled that in. And my absolute risk of death was 0.008%. That's your bunch of questions you fill in. And that was a risk. So you just could, at that point, you, you almost laugh and just go, I don't know. You're you're more likely to get killed in a car accident driving to the vaccine center. I yeah. mean, you're more likely to yeah. die in a subway accident trying to get to the vaccine center. I mean, that that's how again that's absurdity. No one would take a vaccine uh, for those reasons, and um, and, and so uh, you're right. We have a good tool in the United States. It's called the Cleveland Clinic calculator. It calculates the risk of hospitalization or death. You know, those two bad outcomes. I've always said, listen. If you've got a viral illness, but you're not hospitalized and you don't die, anybody could get through that at home. And that's the current state of affairs, by the way, with Omicron, with Omicron, a paper by Abdullah and colleagues show that even the in-hospital mortality rate for the straight person who gets hospitalized, the mortality rate is only 1%. Uh, I'm telling you, this is so treatable at home. Omicron almost doesn't even need any prescription drugs. It's milder common cold. Uh, At this point, Time, there's no reason to have anybody have the vaccine. There's no randomized trials of the vaccines uh, in Omicron. In fact, the vaccine manufacturers are trying to come up with new vaccines with randomized trials in March, but that's going to be too late because Omicron outbreak is going to be over with. Even the, the BA2 subvariant is looks like it's going to be in the envelope of the Omicron outbreak, which is a very tall but narrow outbreak. Omicron broke through natural and um, vaccine immunity. That's the reason why so many people got it. But in a sense, it was like mother nature's booster. I've been on TV, um, national TV. I said, listen, it's acting like a natural booster. And the European medical medicine agencies agree in one of their press releases. Yeah. What do you think the chances are, uh, you know, at this point into the pandemic, uh, Dr. McCullough of, you know, the majority of people having not had a variation of COVID you know, the Venn diagrams are now almost completely overlapping. In the United States, we're beyond 200 million people who took one of the vaccines. And we're at 100, CDC, this is CDC data, we're at 146 million have already had COVID. So that, that, that exceeds the number of people in our country. I think there's very few susceptible people left. And, and I'm, I'm glad because for the last two years, I didn't take a single day off and I've been managing. We have about 500 doctors in the United States who treat COVID-19, about a million doctors on the sidelines. So for those of us treating COVID, we've been so busy. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I am grateful to have fewer calls. And nowadays we just use the virucidal washes, dilute povidone iodine or dilute hydrogen peroxide. And how you do that is get a bottle of 10% povidone iodine or betadine, half a teaspoon in a shot glass of water. I know the Scots, you got plenty of shot glasses over there. Get a shot <laughs> glass of water of 1.5 ounces, and then get a bulb syringe or a spray bottle over the sink, spray it up the nose, snip it back and spit it up twice on each side. It kills the virus on contact. And that cuts the fever, cuts the symptoms. It can be done as a prevention once or twice a day. In active treatment, we do it every four hours. If it stings in the nose, we actually gargle with the rest. If it stings in the nose or mouth, uh, then uh, make it more dilute. If you can't tolerate iodine, then you can use hydrogen peroxide, a 3% hydrogen peroxide standard um, bottle take uh, three quarters teaspoon, again, a shot glass of water, 1.5 ounces, do the same procedure. So the virucidal washes now are the mainstay supported by 12 clinical studies, including a high quality randomized trial. No doubt about it that if we would have known about that the first year, I didn't recommend that at all because I didn't know about it. But once it became known in the clinical studies, now there's not a single patient that doesn't get that treatment, even immunocompromised seniors. I've done it in a 98 year old man. Believe me, it's uh, it's well worth it. Kills the virus and really makes it a mild syndrome. So important. And anybody in Scotland can do that. You don't need ivermectin. You don't need a direct cord. Just kill the virus in the nose. It's a nose infection, not a hand infection. It's not a football stadium state infection. It's not a pizza box. It's a nose infection. Treat the nasal sinuses. 
how um, how difficult has it been, uh, Doctor McCullough? As you said, you were you were involved early on to keep up with the the constant changes. You know the, the you know the latest science, the latest data. How difficult has that been, progressively to 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 keep up with? You know, as a single person, <coughs> unsupported, be very hard. We organized into a group. I kind of lead the group. It's called C19. And we have now about 3,200 people in C19, but people are always uh, curating papers and bringing them forward. And we probably get anywhere from six to eight postings a day with the literature as it comes in. So I think I've already had three or four today. And without that, we'd be lost. But that's helped us a lot. I'm, I'm on top of all the papers, all the citations. Um, you know, I frequently go on the news, so I'm prepared. And uh, because I'm so precise with my um, with my um, uh, handling of the data, no one's actually ever attacked me. Never. There's never been an email, phone call. No one's actually ever had a discussion face to face and say, you know, I disagree. This paper, you you quote, you misquoted it. It's never happened. Okay. Well, um, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I did, like I say, I seen a, a doctor. Um, somebody had shared something saying why you were wrong on on Joe Rogan, and um, I would love to try and contact them to say. Okay, uh, we can give you Dr. McCullough's email address. Why don't you email him and tell him why he's wrong? Yeah, why don't we just go on? Why don't we go on your program and we can just discuss the data? We could pick up with a yellow card report. You can print out the summary of the yellow card report and we can go over it. We can go over the deaths after the vaccine. We can go over all the non-fatal injuries. Uh, we can review. There's 200 papers on myocarditis, about, about 1,000 on vaccine injury and deaths. We can go over the key selective papers. And if that doctor wants to go over that with us, we'll go over it. And so, uh, you know, every time, you know, this has been going on for a while. In the first year of the pandemic, someone said, you don't have enough evidence on hydroxychloroquine. And I would say today, I'd say, listen, we've got over 300 papers. Which one do you want to start with? Yeah. Oh, oh, ivermectin. We've got over 60 uh, 63 papers. Which one do you want to start with? How about vaccines? We've got 25,000 papers. Which one do you want to start with? And then the people are like, oh, I, I guess I really don't want to talk about it. So, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, we are already unbelievably closing in on, on an hour, Dr. McCullough. So, okay. What we will close up with is that I know you're a, a very, very busy man and right no, Thank so. you. Um, where do you see this going? Where does this, where does this end up? How does this finish? Well, I think first the narrative started to crumble and now the wall is starting to crumble. You're starting to see bricks in the wall flying one way or the other, mandates over here, no mandates over there. I think you're seeing crumbling of the whole thing. I think uh, people in Scotland, and again, I'm Scots-Irish, uh, William of Orange is uh, my lineage. Uh, you know, the bottom line is uh, people in Scotland just need to uh, preserve their medical freedom and autonomy. If they want to be healthy, we know now a key pathway to be healthy is stay away from the vaccines. Uh, if you get COVID-19, it's easily treatable. Make sure you, you download all the materials, have your home treatment kit ready. You can go to America Out Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report and get that. Um, uh, uh, many other sources on the internet. Everybody should be ready. There should be no surprises. We're gonna get through it. Before you know it, we're gonna be back to normal and the vaccines are just gonna be a bad dream in, uh, in the rear view mirror. Now, do you, do you think there'll be any repercussions for people who have been given the bad data, the bad science, people trying to especially enforce uh, mandates? Do you think there'll be any repercussions for those people? You know, I'm not an expert there, but I do know lead attorney uh, Reiner Fulmich in Germany is pressing with crimes against humanity. Uh, there probably will be many books written about this. There's already one, The Real Anthony Fauci, written by Robert F. Kennedy. Uh, the Incompetence in the White House Task Force, written by Scott Atlas. Uh, the connections between the vaccine manufacturers and the pre-planning of all this, that, that's covered by Peter Bregan. And I wrote the introduction for that book. It's called COVID-19 and the Global Predators. We Had to Pray. So these books out there are going to be very helpful for people to piece it all together. How did this all happen? And it's really disturbed our lives the last two years. Some of us has changed our lives irreparably. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and it's you know, been a... we've been very lucky. Um, me personally, very little has changed. Um, you just use common sense, and I, I'm actually I have I haven't been vaccinated, um, Doctor McCullough. I was due to get a vaccination. Oh, sorry, I had a letter to get vaccinated the day before uh, I was traveling to compete in a, an iron distance triathlon, and there was no way I was getting a vaccination then. And then after that came out, uh, after that, 
some stuff started to come out when you go, okay, let me just see what happens. And since then, um, I don't like what I see. Uh, I don't want my, you know, when your whole world revolves around fitness and sports, you know, yes. my is not something, it's not, it's not a, that's not a good transaction. That's not, that's not a trade that I'm willing to make. So, um, well, you know, you brought a good point. I'm a cardiologist. And the first thing we do with myocarditis is it cannot exercise. For at least three to six months, an uh, uh, Olympic marathoner, Fabian Schrump from uh, Switzerland, is in this situation. He's in her 30s, yeah. took the yeah. vaccine, triple vaxxed, has got myocarditis, and she's doing the right thing. She's not exerting herself. Um, I'm a runner. When I'm done today, I'm going to go jogging. You know, what we, if I took the vaccine, I'd be worried about triggering. And in a paper by Rose and myself in current problems of cardiology, we have shown that the risk extends up to age 50 in men. Yeah. So this myocarditis is myocarditis is a is a strong reason not to take the vaccines. Boy, I, I would not wouldn't want anything close to that. <clears throat> Just because it's 2022, I have to also say I am absolutely not anti-vax. Uh, please get vaxxed against everything. I just don't want to have myocarditis. Uh, and at the COVID vac the, the Oxford COVID um, uh, calculator. Listen, a few months ago, a few months ago, I just took a flu shot like I do every year. I don't have any problem with yeah. vaccines, but you're right. I don't want myocarditis and I certainly don't want a blood clot, you know, get on a plane and, and I don't want to lose my life for a vaccine that doesn't stop COVID. And I've already had COVID twice. So, you know, I just, for me, it's, it's a non-starter. People say, you're going to take the vaccine. And it's like, why can you tell me why? And then, then there's no rationale. Plus the vaccines are in research. You got to sign research consent forms and and all of that and so i you know the whole thing just it looks bad now yeah. um we, we basically have a couple of minutes left dr mccullough so is there anything you want to finish on to get out before before we let you go yeah so you can follow me on america Out loud talk radio the mccullough report i am up on all the social media platforms so you can find me on twitter uh and it's synchronized with all the social media and i'm following the rules carefully and um and I uh, uh, um, also the, the voluntary chief medical advisor for the Truth for Health Foundation. So if you're interested in advocacy, collections of videos, what have you, the truthforhealth.org. Doctors listening uh, for the doctor to medical education slides, protocols, listed treating doctors, go to the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. And in the UK, for grassroots advocates, some of you guys are are the type of people who go out and do 5Ks and triathlons. You're, you're like your community people. Uh, go to the World Council for Health. World Council for Health. There, it's a UK-based um, aggregation of all the community groups, and it's led by Dr. Tess Lowry, who's my counterpart in the UK. Excellent. Um, Beautiful. Well, thank you very much for your time, sir. Uh, I know you know you're, you're very very busy, and we uh, enormously appreciate your time. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for everything. And um, okay, we, we hope you have a, a great day, uh, Dr. McCullough. And uh, take care, and, and you know, maybe we'll speak again in the future. Okay, bye bye. Thank you. Thanks. The Silly Goose Gang Podcast.